Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Morning, church. So good to see each and every one of you today. I'm so thankful for you. It's a good season to really begin uh, with a lot of gratitude. And I'm thankful for many things. I'm really enjoying going through the book of Hebrews with you. We've got two more weeks of this before we really start getting into the holiday season, Thanksgiving and all these things where we kind of do, we step back and do some special things together to remember uh, all the blessings of God and what he's done for us. And this morning we're going to entitle this sermon and you're going to see just exactly why. This is one of the most just amazing places in scripture. Hebrews chapter 4, as it comes to a close, tells us some of the most important information about why Jesus is greater and really paints a picture for us that I hope is such an encouragement to you today. The the title of today's sermon is A Greater Access and we have a lot to be grateful for right now. So much to be grateful for. First of all, uh, yesterday was Veterans Day, so if you will, if, if you're a vet in the audience, please stand to your feet, if you will, for me. Everybody give them a hand. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Brother Tom, you can stay seated. We know about you. Brother Tom also served. I served for a little while. I'm so thankful for for you gentlemen Um, and and so many uh, who sacrificed. You know, our wives uh, did a lot to get us through that season. And uh, thank you so much for that. Thank you, church. I just got back from a marriage retreat that you guys sent me on. Uh, I had planned on not going because uh, I don't have a lot of money right now. Uh, and Christmas is coming. I'm trying to be prepared for that, you know. And uh, anyway, trying to save up. But you guys thought better of it and uh, sent me that way. And I'm thankful for that. I really am. Uh, it was a good getaway. I still love my wife. Praise God. Um, <laughs> praise God. And y'all need that. You, you, don't, you don't know how important that is for me in ministry. I can't, I can't do it uh, without her. And it would really... I would be a failure if I fell there. And so, anyway, thank you so much. So much to be grateful for right now. And we do live in an amazing place. But the greatest news of all, the greatest news of all, is that we serve a great God. And no matter where we were on this planet, that would be true news. That would be the great news of the gospel to you this morning. And the best news has come. I want to remind you of the theme of our scripture. is out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. This Jesus is greater. And he's been telling us why for six weeks now together. Now we're in our seventh. And we're going to see today why... We have a greater access. That is, a greater ability to enter because of Jesus. Now, I wonder if any of you have ever had what they call an all-access VIP pass to some concert or some musician. Maybe you got to go behind the scenes for some speaker that you really enjoyed. Uh, I have never done that, so I don't know exactly what that's like. Some of the ticket prices for things like this are astronomical to get behind the scenes and meet your favorite artist or whatever. I haven't had that happen, and I kind of wonder who would I want that to be with. I'm not really sure. Maybe I'm a weirdo. I kind of like, I don't care as much about musicians as I once did. I'd like to get behind the scenes with some people that are dead. Maybe I'm weird like that. Like there's some old pastors, some old thinkers, some old writers I'd love to sit down with, but I can't. Maybe one day for a lot of them I'll get that chance. But 
I did get this wonderful opportunity. This idea of having a greater access reminded me of something that happened uh, to me and a group of people. Some years ago, I helped lead a, our youth group. Our, at the time, our church didn't yet exist. I was a youth leader in Wilson. I helped lead a youth group to Centrifuge, which is in Ridgecrest, North Carolina, in the mountains. a beautiful place. And we had had a great week there. Our speaker had really been phenomenal had helped our students a lot and in a lot of ways had really helped me. And so we'd been hearing him all week. And on one of the last nights we were there, for whatever reason, we were late to the cafeteria. Um, that might be a habit that we do as a youth group. I don't, I don't know. It was, it was certainly something we struggled with in those days that we would show up late to stuff. And uh, we showed up late to the cafeteria and we're like one of the only ones in there. And here is his name was Robbie. I can't remember his last name, but Robbie, the pastor of the weekend, was there eating by himself in the cafeteria, just chilling. No one else is in there. We walk in, we're like, well, we could go sit over here. And our students, I think, were like, let's go sit over here. I'm like, let's go sit with the dude, man. Let's go see what he. And that was like, that was the greatest part of the whole week, was to sit down with the guy who'd been speaking to us all week and hear from his heart. More than what we could hear on, you know, his wonderful messages, but now we get to hear why. We get to hear what's underneath about his family and all of that. In a sense, it was like a behind the scenes to see what we, why was this guy, what made him tick? And that was such a wonderful thing. That is really kind of a wonderful thing. I think about our community groups together as we bump shoulders together here on Sundays. But let's be honest, we dress a little nicer. We try to behave ourselves a little bit in this room. Let's get in houses together where people show up sometimes in their like sweatpants. And see how that goes. That behind the scenes stuff is really great. Isn't it? It can also be really messy. But it's really wonderful. I want you to understand something. This is just true about each and every one of us. We really want to be treated special. We really want a certain kind of access. We just do. We want to know that something's different about us. That we're important. We're, we're valuable. We want to go backstage. And the thing we really want to do that maybe we've never been able to put our finger on is we want to go backstage with the God, the creator of the universe. That's actually what we were designed for. All of these other things are just mere glimpses for the fact that we want to go backstage with the Lord. And that's the kind of deep level of desire that we really have. And that's why today's message is incredible news. Incredible news because that relationship with God that you desire, that maybe you're a long ways from, you can now understand and experience in the person of Jesus. In Hebrews, the Jewish background believers here are challenged yet again. They're challenged to respond to this Jesus who is the great high priest. Now those are kind of... He has only sort of glimpsed at that. Now he's going to really dig into this idea of why Jesus is a greater high priest. And what that means for us, maybe we missed that he has granted us a greater access to the throne of God than we've ever had. And we can understand that this is a timeless principle that the way we respond to Jesus as our great high priest also grants us this type of access. I believe you're going to see the text give three really clear responses to this access we have in Christ. So let's read only a few verses. Chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest. This is such a great verse. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Praise the Lord for that. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God bless the reading of this word. Amen. Amen. What a good word. One of my favorite verses in scripture, Hebrew 4.15. I'm thankful for a Jesus who understands me, who knows me in a way that... uh, is beyond compare and understands my problems. What a wonderful thing. This is the first first response we have to this, this Christ who has given us access. And that is, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast. I kept all of these in this let us phrasing. Because that's the way the writer had it. That means this isn't a guarantee. Church, believer in the room, this isn't automatic. The, the idea of let us, this idea of let, is what's called in the English a subjunctive. That means there is possibility, there is potential, but it's not automatic. That means your confession, this faith that you have in Christ, is a constant choice. I don't mean that in the sense of salvation. I mean that in the, in the sense of tomorrow, who will you be? Will you cling to your faith or will you be rattled by everything? Because that opportunity is there. It's not automatic. Let us then hold fast, he says in verse 14. Hold fast our confession. The, the, the thing begins with since then because this is just building on itself. We go back, go back and look back at Hebrews and see where he's come to this point. Now he's saying since... All of this has happened. Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the law. He's greater than Joshua. His rest is greater than all of those other things you've been seeing. He's the greatest. And here's one more. Since that's true, he's an even greater high priest. Now this is a big deal. It may not strike you initially as a big deal. But there's only one of these in the Hebrew nation. And at this point in time, they're really struggling to know what to do with this. The temple has been rebuilt and expanded by, by Herod. But just a few years after the writing of Hebrews, all of that's going to get destroyed. We're going to have a big mess on our hands. Where does the high priest go? What does he do? There's only one of these. And his access is once a year. The high priest, once a year, can go behind the veil in the Holy of Holies where the ark is. And they, they keep a rope attached to his foot. In case something goes wrong in there, because no one else can go in there, they got to drag him out. Because the Lord said, I ain't down with this guy today. He could go one time a year. This is a, a big deal comparison. He is saying, guess what Jesus is to us now? An even, a, an even greater high priest. Why? Why is this true? Because our access is no longer limited. I understand just how limited it really was. We couldn't go in there. Not a single one of us in this room could go in there. I'm a Gentile of Gentiles. I'm a big old mess. I couldn't go anywhere near that room. And I'm not in the house of Aaron. I'm not in the Levite order. I couldn't go into that room. Most of Israel couldn't, but one man. And Jesus is now, as a greater high priest, granted us access, pulled back the veil. This is why on the cross it is said that the veil was torn into at the point of his death. 
that there were all of these miraculous signs that the Bible speaks of, but out extra outside writers also write about. People like the Roman historian Tacitus and some of these others write about the events that took place at the day of the crucifixion. There were earthquakes. There was a strange eclipse. And Josephus speaks of this idea that the veil itself tore who was at the time a Jewish man, it would have not been a great thing to write, oh yeah, this Jesus died, and for some reason, the curtain that was supposed to block us off from that holy place just ripped. And we couldn't go in there because we were terrified. Because that room filled with his presence. Why did this all happen? Because the access has changed. In a far better way. It's hard for us to even understand just how wonderful this is. So many of us grew up in the church. I grew up a PK hearing all this stuff. And, and it's, I just repent even right now of, of the fact that I would be so familiar with a thing that I wouldn't understand its greatness. That I can com, come before God in his holy place and say, because of the blood of Jesus, let's talk. This is something else. This is something else. Verse 14 said something too that I kind of glossed over in my first reading of it. It says that Jesus passed through the heavens. This is again painting that very picture, putting that picture on display. That Jesus did what the high priest had been doing once a year all that time. But he did it for real. Because the temple, just understand this, is just a picture of what's really going on in heaven. We're getting a glimpse in church, of what's actually going to happen there. And so what Jesus has done, he didn't pass through this earthly veil where the Holy of Holies was said to house the presence. He went into the very presence of God, through the heavens, pulled back the veil. I like, I like what one commentator, this is Barnes, uh, an old, this is an older commentary. These old guys, I love them. Again, I, that's where I'd go. I'd go to the old guys, but... The Jewish high priest, he writes, the Jewish high priest went once a year into the most holy place in the temple to offer the blood of the atonement. But the great high priest, Jesus, has gone into heaven to now make intercession and to sprinkle his blood of the atonement on the mercy seat and paid the final price that all of this stuff that they had been doing for hundreds and thousands of years was merely a glimpse, merely a picture. Now he does it for real. And now, everything has changed. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. We'll be there probably sometime next year because we're going to take a break from Hebrews for a little while in just a week or two. But Hebrews chapter 9, it says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with human hands, which are mere copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is what he's done. This is what's been offered to you freely by grace. What a wonderful gift. Because this high priest is not merely a man, he's the Son of God. It goes on to say in verse 14, Jesus, the Son of God, passed through the veil into heaven on our behalf. So then what do we do with that? Hang on. That's the word. Hang on. Hold fast. This is to, the idea of to seize, to grip, 
to lay your hands on, obtain, to take with both hands. That kind of gives me an impression that I don't know if is the intention of this writer, but that Jesus is on the move. That this faith is going to take us somewhere. So hold on tight, because we're going on a ride. I don't know if that's his intent, but it's been my experience in life at least that when I said yes to Jesus, and not just salvific, but, but when I've said yes again and again, that he's taken me on a ride. And it's the greatest fun. It's scary. But it's, it's joy, it's peace, it's, it's opportunity, it's all this stuff I long for. Yeah, it scares me. Yes, yeah, sometimes he takes me out of my comfort zone. But when I hang on, I get to see God move. I get to see him do something miraculous in my life I wouldn't have seen otherwise. He says, hold fast to what? Your, your confession, that is, hold fast to your faith. The word here is homologia, which means same word. Literally means the same word, which means I'm going to hang on to this, this true word, this confession that I've had from my forefathers passed on to me, this idea of faith. I'm clinging to it. What is this confession? I could go to a lot of places to speak of this confession of faith. I recite this every week during prayer just about, and it's one of the best places to go is why I do it. <laughs> Romans chapter 10, verse 9. I bet some of you have borderline memorized this now because I lay it on you so much. Romans 10, 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice the word confess there, homologos. That is to say the same word. Christ said he died on my behalf on the cross. The Bible says that, he, that God raised him from the dead and there were many witnesses. My confession then is to say the same word. What Jesus says about himself I say about him as well, we agree. That is the idea of, the, of faith, is to agree with God. So what you say is true, I say is true. What you say in your word is true, I say is true. Some of it bothers me. Some of it I don't know what to do with. But what you say is true, I say is true. If you say salvation is through the blood of Jesus, then that's where it comes from. That is homologia, same word. So hold on to that. Cling to that as the world is going to take you, is going to shake you and try to push you out on this. He says later on in Hebrews chapter 10, Let us then hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And now, the picture that came to my mind of this hanging on, this holding fast to a confession, really, what are we holding on to? We're holding on to this Savior. We're holding on to this Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith. That's who we're clinging to. And it made me think of a lot of stories when I was a kid. I couldn't share most of them because i got to admit something. I was really terrible at staying with my parents. If we were going anywhere, if, we went, if I went with my, my mom to a clothing store, I cannot resist getting in those racks. I can't res I'm tempted to do it now. I'm just putting that out there. Those little spinny racks, there's a, a spot in there to get in and just... You know, just too, it's too much fun. I'm too tall now, but if I was short, y'all, I'd still be in them clothing racks, just goofing off. I was terrible as a kid, but it made me think about an experience I had just a few years ago taking my kids on, on, a, on a, a, a trip, a long trip by plane. And airports, y'all, are frustrating. Just, just by yourself, they're pretty frustrating, but take a bunch of little children with you on one of those trips, and you're like, I'm going to lose somebody today. I got four people that don't know where to go. 
And, uh, the, and the, the first thing that my youngest daughter, who at the time was like two or three, the first thing she did was walk up to the counter where we're getting our tickets and lick the airport counter. Where you just think, how many thousand people probably have touched this? So she's going to get a superpower. Y'all just wait and see. But, but I'm clinging to kids. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of like a bulldozer going through there. We're, going, we're lining up together. I've got a couple. We've got bags. It's just, it's chaos. But for my kid, I look at them kids. They're just, they're, I, they're trying to get away from me and having a big old good time. Why is that? Because they just, they know, uh, daddy's got this thing figured out. They know if they kind of stick to me somewhat, we're going to be okay. That guy feeds me. That guy gets me from A to B. I get to just kind of go about life, having a good old time. I kind of vaguely remember that as a child. Now as an adult, it's such a wonderful picture to see. It really is the picture that came to mind for me when it comes to hold fast to your faith. I don't know where Jesus has taken me. And you don't either. I don't know what Christ has planned for me even next year. Even a month from now, I have no idea. But the question is, will I keep saying yes every single day? And I will, will I be like that little child with a smile on my face saying, I don't know where he's taking us. But this is pretty fun. Yeah, this, there's some chaos going on in my life. Because my life is like a real screwed up airport. But if I'll just... You're the, you're the man. You know the, pl- you know the path. You know the plan. You're the light. You're the bread. This is how he describes himself. I got you. I'll feed you. I'll path for you. I'm your, I'm your way maker. I got you. That's a different kind of access, y'all. That's how we respond. We respond by saying, I don't have to know all the details, but I can trust. I don't have to understand the plan, but I know that he loves me and he is perfect. And his plan for me is perfect. Even when there are bumps in the road, they're there because he intended them to be there. And I can trust him. So hold fast to your confession. We're like the guy that somehow was able to walk in with the high priest into that, behind that veil into the house of God, and we didn't die. The presence didn't swallow us up. No, we were able to come in now before the Holy of Holies with Jesus. Look at this access. So hang on. Here's the second way. And this one's really pretty important. It's, it's a lifestyle choice I think would really impact you. And that is consider, let us consider the sympathy Jesus has for us. If you have a habit of this, a constant habit of looking to Jesus and, and the way in which he loves you, it will change your life. It will change, it will motivate the way you parent, the way you, you, you're a spouse. It will motivate the way you work. And when you really understand that you serve a Savior who's familiar with your weakness and sympathizes with them, who, has, who was tempted in every way as you were and yet did not fail where you fail. This is an, an amazing thing. The word here sympathizes in the text. That's a common word we understand. I learned this week, however, it comes right out of the Latin, which comes right out of the Greek. It's what we call a transliteration. This word, this word goes way back. The English writers and whoever came up with this language just said, hey, we really like that word. We'll just keep it. We'll keep it as is. It comes from the word sympatheo, sympatheo, which means to fill this thing together, to, have, to be affected with the same feeling. The King James, in fact, says to be touched by the same feeling. 
That means when he uses the word weakness here, which is, is this idea of, of literal to be lacking of power, to have want for strength. So Jesus can sympathize. He has been touched with the feeling. He has the same feeling as I feel when I feel weak. He felt it in a very unique way, in fact, because he's done something where he stepped down from his throne. It took on the form of a servant, the scriptures say, removed, if you will, his insignia of majesty, took that off for a moment and stepped down for us to be with us. He felt this weakness in a different kind of way than us. We've never known better. He knew what it's really like on the other side. In every way, he's able to sympathize when I feel stuck, when I feel broken, when I feel like I can't pull it off, when I feel like I'm a mess. He understands that feeling. In fact, he's been tempted. The idea of temptation here has to do with sin. It has to do with the things that grab you and grip you and won't let go. He was tempted like that. What does all this mean? This, this means that you should not overlook the fact that the Savior of the world, the Son of God, this Jesus we speak of, was hungry like you're hungry. I mean physically. Some of you are grumbling right now. You're like, wrap this thing up. I'm hungry. Some of you are, are feeling tired today. You're feeling sleepy. You didn't get enough rest. Jesus felt that. <laughs> if Jesus stumped his toe, that toe hurt just like your stump toe. If he ever fell down, we don't have recordings of this, but he's a human man. Working with his father for years and years in a carpenter's shop. Bruising and battering those hands. He felt that. I bet you he had a splinter, at least one in his life. Maybe he was the perfect carpenter too. I don't know. The Bible doesn't get to that. He was probably building the most amazing woodworks. But in every way that I feel weak, the tired, the hunger... Maybe even some of the insecurities when the Pharisees would come. But he didn't put it on display because he was without sin. He was tempted in every way too. That means, what is the stuff that tempts me? Materialism? Lust? Covetousness? Stuff that tempts... Sometimes I get angry with people. Is that weird? I get real mad at people. You ever get real mad at people? Y'all are looking at me like, no way. Y'all get real mad at people. Y'all got real mad at somebody today on the way to church, didn't you? Come on. There, there are little people that, you're, that rode with you here. You got mad at them already. That's okay. It happens. It happens. Get real mad. You know, Jesus got pretty mad at some people. It's on display in the Bible. He got really mad when some people were selling stuff in, in the temple of God, and he drove them out. The Bible says he was angry. But his anger is different than my anger because I have a hard time with my anger. When I get angry, I have a hard time controlling it. It just flies off. It gets unleashed. Jesus is with control. His is without sin. Do you understand the difference in your Messiah? The difference in your Savior that's different really from any other faith that exists. This is what's one of the main things that separates us. So that the Son of God became a man and knew every and every way can sympathize with us, yet was without sin, which is so important. In every way he can sympathize with us, but he has one limitation. He didn't go there. And if he if he had of, the sacrifice was useless. No, he was sinless so that he could be the sinless Savior, the Passover Lamb for us who couldn't accomplish that. We just can't. We cannot do that. 
And it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. We have, a, we have a goal as believers in Christ to be more Christ-like today than yesterday. That, is, that means that you shouldn't say, as I've heard people say, I'm never going to overcome this sin. False. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. But the idea that you will be sinless and somehow be okay, impossible. Consider the sympathy of Jesus for you. He's already written in Hebrews chapter 2 this. Verse 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. That is us. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. That is propitiation to stand in the place of. To be the atonement for. That he could satisfy the wrath of God if you will. He had to be one of us to pull that off. Just consider for a, mo- a moment. I, go, do, do, a, do a wonderful just study through Matthew. Matthew, almost all of these were in Matthew as I was thinking about. In what ways is Jesus, really can he sympathize with me? The first, of course, came to my mind is right there in Matthew chapter 4. It's probably in some of the other Gospels. I didn't look in all those places, but... He endures the temptation of Satan in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. And it's a lot of the same stuff that tempts us. There's materialism there. There's the temptation of your gut, if you will. The the, the temptation of your flesh. All of that stuff. There's a temptation towards power there. In every way he was tempted there, yet without sin. This Jesus, it appears, Matthew chapter 8, was homeless at times. His family thought he was crazy. Look at Matthew chapter 12. His best friends turned their backs on him. Look at Matthew 26. One of his closest friends betrayed him for silver. Matthew chapter 26. He endured the gossip and slander from all kinds of people. Matthew 12. He was publicly shamed. Mark chapter 14. He endured periods of hunger and thirst. That's Mark 11. His message was widely rejected. His preaching was critiqued. His disciples, who spent three years with him, didn't get it. And he endured all of this because he loves you and me. He did this for us so that we could have a sinless Savior who could actually satisfy the debt we owed. Consider that. Paul's on that for today, for tomorrow. Maybe that's something you wake up with for a couple of days. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are to us. Let that impact the way I live. He understands you. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you think your problems are unique to you. They're not. He's fully accustomed to your problems. He knows your thoughts. He knows your pain. Not just in an intellectual way. He has felt it. So what do you do with that? Goes back to the first. All right, let me hold fast to this one who loves me and knows me and sympathizes. When I begin to consider and think about this Savior who loves me, I'm hanging on. That's my guy. I'm not letting go. I'm going to cling all the closer knowing that right when I'm smack in the middle of a big old mess, I know he dealt with it and did it without the sinfulness I've been struggling with. God help me. Walk with me. I'm hanging on. You guide me through this clumsy airport that I'm going through. Help me. Here's the third response. I ain't going to lie to you. This is probably my favorite. Verse 16. Let us confidently draw near to God's throne through Jesus. Let us confidently draw near to God's throne through Jesus. 
This idea of confidence is right here in the text. I didn't make any of this up. These are the words right out of the text here. Confidence is the idea that you would be free. This is a word we use a lot in Christianity called assurance. That you have a certain fearless confidence, a boldness to just walk right into his room. My kids have that kind of fearlessness. And it's surprising because I know their mother. She's a dangerous individual early in the morning. That's not a morning person. I don't know who y'all think she is. She's not really a night owl either. I'm starting to think she's just a really narrow block person. Like somewhere in the middle, she's really, really great. All right, But you do not go in that room waking her up. But my kids are fearless. Oh, it's mommy. She loves us. She's going to fuss. She's going she's gonna to fuss at them. But they don't care. Because mommy loves me. And they just come boldly into the room. And surprisingly, even though I'm frustrated, I know that she's so much more, I feel kind of lighthearted about it generally. I'm like, ah, she'll handle that. I don't want them in here either. I'm not a morning person either. But it's surprising the fact that they just don't seem to get it. That's how clueless they are. I'd love to say it's because they're bold that they have assurance of our love. I think they're just downright clueless. But that's not, a, that's not a terrible kind of faith either, that I can just boldly go into the room with the Lord and Savior and say, hey, I don't know if I'm supposed to be in here, but I think because of Jesus I'm allowed. This is really cool. This is amazing. This is the kind of confidence, fearlessness, assurance that allows us to approach the throne of God. This word here, verse 16, he could have said it any other way. He says, the throne of grace, not the throne of justice, which he is, sitting on the throne of justice. But this means something about the God we serve. I want you to understand this. I don't know what pictures have been painted to you in your life, what you've heard about this God, like he's somehow a a boy on an anthill just burning us with a magnifying glass. This is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible sits on a throne of grace, which means he is ready and willing and so longing to show you mercy. He can't always do it. Because of who we are and what we've decided. But when we we make the decision, I hold fast the confession. I'm coming in with Jesus. When we do that, he sits on a throne of grace. Ready. What kind of God would he be otherwise? This is a God who created you and I and longs for our affection, longs for our attention, longs for us to be in his company. He made us for himself. What kind of God would sit on a throne merely of justice? That's not how I sit on the throne, if you will, as a parent in my house. I wanted these children so that we could have a long, lifelong ministry together, really. I mean, my my desire was that we would serve Christ together. Now, maybe you didn't think all of that through, and I, I didn't think all of that through. But that's really what I want from them. I don't want them to suffer. I don't want to have to constantly discipline them. You don't want this as a parent. It's not fun that they do dumb stuff all the time. That's not fun. It's not fun to have to spank or to put in time out or whatever your methods are. That stuff's not fun. It's not what you want as a parent. No, what you want as a parent is good conversation, doing life together, seeing them grow up and achieve amazing things for the glory of God. That's what you want. And our God is that in a perfect way. He's that without the sin that's in that somewhere. Because there's maybe a nugget, a nuance where I, 
you know, I want my kid to be successful because it's going to make me look good. And I'm trying to put that off. I don't want people to go, hey, good job, Jonathan. You were such a good dad. There's an element of human there that God doesn't have. He sympathizes with it, sure, but he doesn't sin in that same way. He loves me so much in spite of me, and he's ready, open-handed, sitting on a throne of grace, ready to give it out. And one commentator writes on this, Grace is that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness. A throne of grace is designed to represent a king seated to dispense mercy and pardon. This king wants to pardon. He wants to so bad. But there's only one that can come in there and ask for it. And that's Jesus. So hold fast your confession. And if you've done that, if you've held on, guess what you get to be like? My kids. You get to roll up in there fearlessly and boldly and say, God, guess what I did today? I stepped right in a mud puddle. Just just really ate it. Made an awful mess of my life, God. Check it out. I know you already saw it. I'm going to need your help getting me out of this predicament. I can come to God just like that. God, I know when you dealt with this, when you were tempted with this, you didn't sin. I did. I made a big old mess. I need help. That's what my kids come to me with a lot of times. They come tearing upstairs. He hit me. She hit me. You won't believe that such and such just drew on the wall. I am the captain of problem solving in my house. That's what I do, and that's what God's doing for me. I can come boldly to him and say, I just wrote all over the walls, God. Big time. This is bad. I don't know what to do. He's like, I got you. He's got those Mr. Clean bars up there that I don't know anything about. He's working it out. That's the kind of way I come to him. It's not childish. This is why, in fact, Jesus says, let the little children come to me for the kingdom of God is for such as these. That means we have to have a similar heart. Have you gotten, you're just too mature to come to God and say, I I just completely ruined myself. Are you too mature for that? Because we can't grow out of that. In fact, verse 16 says, right in the middle of our time of need, which seems to be pretty regular. This is the word eukairos, which kairos is this Greek idea that means in due season at an opportune time. And you has inflects good. So right in the middle of when it's good, when it's an opportune time, when I'm right in big trouble, God's welcoming. His throne of grace is available. It's, it's open. We can confidently draw near because Jesus has opened a new and living way. It's going to say later in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, what? Let us draw near. How? With a true heart, in full assurance, confidence of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You don't come in there like that, you'll leave like that. I come in with the full assurance knowing that he's already passed through the heavens. I just got to hold fast. Jesus, lead me in again. I need to walk in there and talk to him. It was God's eternal purpose, in fact, to do this. Ephesians chapter 3 says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Have you experienced this yet? If you haven't experienced it, perhaps today, it's because you've not yet 
held fast to a confession of faith. You've not made that step yet. Maybe that's you. That's okay. Don't wait. This, this amazing opportunity is now. But for a lot of you in the room, believers, have you made the decision at some point in your journey, I just, yeah, I know this is kind of true, but like, does he really want to talk to me again today? Absolutely. He sits on a throne of grace. He's a good father. He loves you more than you can even understand. He wants community with you. It's what he designed you for. It doesn't matter that you got to come in again and say, hey, I wrote all over the walls again, God. Still loves you. And is ready to work that out. It's part of his purpose in your life. Is Go through that with you. Walk through that with you. It reminded me of a famous photograph... I don't know. This may surprise some of you. These, I'm just, I like history. I wasn't alive, obviously, when this photograph was very uh, like mainstream. But I learned a little bit more about it this week. Um, this comes out of a magazine called Look. Do any of you remember the magazine called Look? Um, it predates like Facebook and Instagram, y'all. We do this now. We go, we're basically doing Look magazine now. Oh, that's cool. Look at the images. There used to be this big, large magazine where you could see picture after picture with just little bitty amounts of words. Really, it was ahead of its time. This is like Instagram, if you will, but in paper form. But this picture came out of JFK with his little boy, John Jr., sitting under the resolute desk in the Oval Office. Now, that's a kid with special privilege. That's a kid with special access. Now, this image was like really impactful. I talked to my dad about it this past week, just how it made everybody feel because it released not long after the assassination of JFK, where the nation was in mourning. It made me kind of sad to think about the fact that I, I'm not sure our nation would mourn somebody of, of high priority dying now. We don't care all that much, but there used to be an America that really cared about its people. That's a scary thought, but not the point of this sermon. Well, the point of this photograph, and this came to my mind as we were doing this idea that you can draw near. This is us. We're the little boy. And yeah, this is the most important desk in our nation, the resolute desk. You and I can't go in there. We can't, okay? We can't even go in the building. Maybe you can get a special tour. I don't know. I've never tried. But you can't get in that room, and you can't sit under that desk, and I don't think any of us would necessarily want to, but... When it comes to the throne room of God, who sits in the most important seat and all, <laughs> all that exists, that's the kind of access we have. Because the Savior we serve has granted such access. So let's be like these little children. Let's be like my little kids and your little kids. These, these people who can come boldly in. I know you love me. I trust you in such a way that I know I could come into the throne room of God. What's holding you back, my friend, from that? Is it some sin area? Some struggle you've been fighting? Maybe you're angry with him? He's not afraid of that either. You think God is afraid? Oh, you're mad at me? Come on in here. Let's talk about it. It doesn't bother me when my kids are mad at me. 99% of the time, they're wrong. And we need to work that out. With God, 100% of the time, I'm wrong. But I still need his help to work that out. 
I still love my children even when they're mad at me or they've done wrong or they're in some sort of sin, they're in some sort of struggle. God is that and so much more. So will you confidently draw near to the throne room of God? You've been given access. This will be the most unusual thing for you to choose that you've been given a backstage pass to the king of the universe who's ready to love and show you mercy and work things out in your life and give you purpose and give you peace and joy and the fruit of the spirit and you would look at that and say "Ah, not today we must stop as believers Christians, my brothers and sisters, draw near to the throne room of God. Do it today. Do it when you leave this place. Do it with your families. Do it when you put your head down tonight. Draw near. What wonderful news. How, you, how will you respond to it? This is what Christ has done. He has carried you into the throne room of God by his sacrifice. Will you hold fast to him? Will you go ahead and say, yes, I, I trust you, God. I don't know where you're leading, but I trust you and I'm clinging to that. Christ, I'm thankful you sympathize with me. I'm thankful that you were tempted as I am, but you completed what I could not. I'm thankful for that. So now I'm drawing near. Let's do that together now as a church. Let's do that as a people of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful thing that I can say that. I say that with such repetition that often I don't even consider those very words, that I can call you Father. That's part of this idea of assurance. That's me walking into your throne room. And we as a church, as your beloved people, the people you did so much for and loved in such a real way and sacrificed for, that we can draw into your presence. We can come into your your throne of grace and say, Father, Dad, thank you for your love. Just as Christ said of you, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, Come into your throne room. Abba, Abba. Dad, Father, thank you for who you are to us. I begin with just that thought, Lord. I'm in such a state of gratitude when I consider who you are to us. That you did everything that was necessary for me to walk into that throne room without fear. Because I should walk in there. God, I should walk in there so terrified. Knowing that I'm a mess that my sins are incriminating, that I am guilty as charged. I know that. And anybody in this room who's honest with themselves knows when we walk into that place, we know full well, I have messed up. I deserve my guilty punishment. But in spite of that, you died for us. And took on the very sin we could not pay. Lived the life we could not live. And sinless, though tempted, though weak as we are, You overcame where we couldn't. Thank you for who you are to us, Jesus. Dear friend, maybe you've come here today. You've maybe even heard some of this before. I would ask you, have you held fast to this confession? Have you made the decision in your life? I don't know where Jesus is leading, but I know this much. I need to follow him. I know this much. Where he's going, I want to follow I also know that right now, where I'm at right now, if I did walk into the throne room of God, though He would love to show me grace, He can't. Because I don't have the access. I'd be walking in there without a Messiah, without a Savior. If that's you today, friend, there's no reason to put that off. Because Jesus has a plan for you that starts right now. 
He's desired your community. He's desired to be with you all this time. He's been working towards this for a while. I ask you, my friend, will you say simply a confession of faith? Say it with me. Again, Romans 10 says, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. If that's you today, pray simply with me. Jesus, I believe that you are Lord of my life. You are in charge. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. You lived a life so similar to mine, but you did it without the sin that I've so struggled with. And God, I believe that you raised Jesus from the grave, and I'm thankful today, Lord. I'm thankful that you've saved me, not only from sin, but from death. And I'm asking now, Lord, would you guide my steps? Would you help me to feel this peace? Help me to have a sense that I can draw near and come into your throne room. And begin to guide my life, Lord. I want to live as you've planned for me and not according to my own purpose. Dear friend, if you prayed that with me, welcome to the family of God. And so much of that, we have to pray with you every single day as believers. We have to continually come back to this prayer of, God, lead us. Help us to hold fast our confession. Help us to say yes tomorrow as we've said today. That there will be new challenges every day. has a new set of them. Help us to yet again say, all right, I believe. Christ, I'm yours. Lead me. I offer myself to you in that way right now, Lord. I'm praying for this week, Lord, that you would guide my steps. Bless us as your church that we would be truly the kind of people that model this well. That others would come into contact with us. Maybe even this week, I pray this week, that would see, wow, you've got a certain kind of hope. You've got a certain kind of way of life that you just seem free. You seem bold. You seem to have courage for life. That we would have an opportunity to say, yeah, and I know where that courage comes from. Because I have access in Jesus. I can come boldly before God. God, do that in us. Give us those opportunities even this week. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.